Welcome back to SwitchCast. We are on the road again tonight, all the way in Down East, Maine, or up to camp, as they say out there. Don't ask how you can be Down East and up to camp at the same time, but, uh, well, that's a longer explanation. Tonight, our guest is Tim Cotton, and you might wonder, watching the video, why I have a book in my hand, but Tim Cotton is an author as well as a veteran police officer and detective. And uh, he is not necessarily a car guy, but he is a funny, funny guy and he, uh, a, a really good writer. He is most known for starting the Bangor, Maine Police Department Facebook page and taking it uh, really viral. He's got probably half a million followers now and uh, also made famous the Duck of Justice. So if you haven't... Uh, benefited from having that in your Facebook feed, you are really, really missing out. And to give you an idea before we jump into the interview of his writing style, I'm going to read an excerpt from one of his uh, stories in the book titled A Patrolman Pondering Parades. If you like classic cars, Tim writes, Independence Day parades usually have the best variety. Memorial Day is a little early to bring out the Grand Torino, and by Labor Day, the alternator probably gave out, so the Ford is back in storage waiting for parts. July and sunny skies tend to bring out the best of the best. Finding the staging area an hour or two prior to your town's parade is the perfect time to look over all the cars and speak to the owners. Typically, they love to talk about their vehicles. The air is filled with a cherry fragrance of Meguiar's Quick Detailer and green pine tree-shaped air fresheners. I love the smell of anal retentive car ownership in the morning. Try not to be the guy explaining why the owner is wrong about one or two particular details regarding their car. Yes, it came standard with a dimmer switch on the floor. Car owners want to talk to that guy any more than they like to explain to the town cop why their exhaust is not stock. Peruse the rides. Enjoy the day. And I would tell you to do just that. Enjoy the interview. I looked forward to this one immensely as I've been reading his stuff for quite a while. And I hope that if you haven't been reading his stuff uh, after this interview, it will cause you to go and buy his books and check out that Facebook page. So here we go. Thanks for tuning in. All right, we have uh, departed from our fancy studio in Ohio, and we are on the road up here in the deep woods of Maine, and we're not broadcasting live, mostly because they're still on dial-up up here, and uh, ain't no way that would work, even with BoxCast's fancy equipment. Uh, I am here tonight, I say tonight, it will be tonight when you're watching, but I'm here with Tim Cotton. And if you've never heard of him, it's because your parents don't have Facebook. That's correct. He, <laughs> exactly. He is a retired police officer detective, a uh, part-time writer. Yes. And he is most known for making the Bangor, Maine Police Department's Facebook page famous, Apparently. along with the Duck of Justice. Absolutely. Uh, the Duck of Justice could not join us, but we have a random wooden duck in. here. Yeah. There's a couple in the background, too, which is nice. <laughs> a few decoys. 
there's no main house that doesn't have a few decoys. You gotta have a few. <laughs> so thank you, Tim. Hey, for thanks for having joining me. me for taking time out. Um, this is your second interview today. You're on yeah. Maine Public Radio. Maine earlier. Public Radio for Jennifer Rooks, Maine Calling. We did that this morning, and uh, I drove up back from my camp. Now I'm at your camp or your family's camp. So this is a pretty good day. I'm getting yep. around and uh, up to camp, as they up say. Up to up camp. Here. Up to camp. Yep. And uh, we've got Chester too, which is even better. It's always good to have an animal in the in the studio. Yeah, he can't be too far away from the action for I very can see long. That. I don't so. blame him. I don't blame yeah. him. Yeah. Um, so you have just retired from the force. Absolutely. How long were you an officer? Thirty-four years. From uh, yeah, thirty-four years. This year would have been uh, my official retirement date comes up in November. Um, but I had all my sick time because I'm a judicious student of keeping it <laughs> on the books so I could have a summer off. So I was able to use some of that sick time and get out a little bit early. So my official retirement date, even though I'll never return to the uniform, is in November. But So I've got a little bit of a summer left. And, uh, nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I've never had a summer off since I was 14. <laughs> so as most Americans have not. So I, I'm pretty happy to be here. And, and uh, yeah, I'm done. And uh, it feels good to be done, to be honest. Well, yeah. yeah, I I think many people can echo that regardless of their yeah, chosen vocation. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So, yeah. I'm, so I'm doing some writing and uh, trying to get my, my own website flowing a little more again and filling it up with, uh, you know, pontification and horrible grammar and uh, <laughs> trying to write another book. I'm, I'm working on my novel now, which is slow going, but um, I have a third book coming out in November and I'm just having a good time trying to promote myself and, and it's great to be here with you today. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Sure. So um, a lot of the people I have on have accomplished some pretty fantastic things over the course of their life. But sure. it's, um, you know, maybe the younger generation looks at it and says, man, how how is it that you're where you are? And they don't see the journey, the pain, the, mm. the work that's involved to get from from here to there. Sure. And they just assume that because they're not there yet. They're always going to be stuck here. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. Good point. You know, you, you've uh, become somewhat of an internet sensation. You've become a successful writer. Um, give us a flyover of the journey that, that brought you to the police department and that yeah. got you to writing. It, it, it's all relatable in my mind, but I can see where people will say, how did you move from there to here? But really, my start off was I was uh, in radio, uh, and I only because I... Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do uh, at that time. It was the 80s, you know, early 80s, and I liked WKRP, you know, so I thought, well, I can do that. I can talk on the radio. So I went to broadcast school, and I got a job like two weeks in, finished out my, my minor education in broadcast, but I ended up at WABI up in Bangor, did middays there. Um, and then uh, Stephen King's radio station, I had a friend over there that was uh, the news director back in the day, and that was 83, 84. And uh, she called and said, hey, would you like to do news? I said, yeah, I can read news. You know, the thing is, I always could read quite well, speak fairly clearly. I mean, most of the time, at least coherently. And so I said, yeah, I can do news. I'd love to. And I like to write a little news, too. That it would be interesting. And so uh, I went across town, left that job, went over there, became uh, assistant news director, which means I was just the news guy. I mean, and so I did news for the broadcast throughout the day and covered a lot of events in Bangor and minor news events. And uh it kind of turned into a, a radio show with Bobby Russell, who did their mornings at WKIT forever, because WZON, Stephen King Station, became WKIT-FM later. Um, so my buddy Bobby, who just retired, we did an afternoon, a morning show, I should say. Um, and I did some writing on the side. The uh, 
I wrote for a, a main boating news newspaper. A friend of mine had opened up, and that's long gone, but it was a fun fun event, something to try. He said, can you write? I said, I can write. He goes, can you write about boats? I said, I like boats. So <laughs> that, that's really where it came. He so never I, asked you if you could write well. No, he never just asked. asked if you and, could write. and you know what? Most people could tell I couldn't. So, But you know what? When you're trying to fill a small main newspaper, a coastal newspaper, you take what you get, and that's what you got right here, and it isn't much. So I did some writing there. And I did some writing for the Brewer Register, which was a small weekly paper that uh, one of the fellows at the station owned. So I did some writing on the side, did some stuff for AP. You know, when you'd pick up a, a little minor news story in Maine, you know, AP would give you a little bird dog fee to write something up and send it yeah. to them. So I did that. And uh, then I did the radio show. But after a time, I decided I want to become a police officer. So... Uh, I why always, in the world would you I, want I don't to do know. that? I can't, I, I can't tell you why. I wish I had a really good story like T.J. Hooker inspired me or one of those great cop shows. I loved Columbo. But really, it just seemed like something I wanted to do, and I did. Uh, so I was able to get a job. But back then, in the late 80s, when I became a cop, you, you literally vied for positions with 200 other people for one job. It was crazy. So it was very difficult. So you had to become a part-time cop learn the trade as a reserve officer in Maine, and then hopefully get a full-time job, which it worked out for me. And I stayed at Hamden PD for almost 10 years, and then I went to Bangor PD in uh, 1997 and uh, worked my way through the ranks, became a detective, an investigator, polygraph examiner, and uh, had some great cases, did a lot of homicides, child abuse, polygraph examinations. And, uh, you know, one thing a cop does a lot is write. So I suppose <laughs> yeah. that I, I was I honed my my skills by writing reports. And I used to like to add a little pizzazz to the reports and sometimes they'd get sent back. And that's too much pizzazz. So I just kind of tempered it and had a good time with it. But I, I always enjoyed writing a, a good line, even though, you know, related to the crime. But I'd like to, you know, I wrote them kind of humorous. If there was something humorous, I made sure I quoted people a lot. And a lot of cops in those days weren't quoting people. But I was like, hey, put quotes. If they say that, I'm putting it in the report. So, <laughs> And so, who knows what meth heads will say, right? It, yeah, absolutely. People say some great things and they need to be quoted. So I did that a lot. And it kind of made it fun, I think, for juries. <laughs> and I uh, had a really good conviction rate and a good confession rate because I, I could speak to people and treat them fairly and kind and they tell me they killed people and that's really you know if they'd admitted they killed people i win so um that's where i came to be and over the time finally and i decided it was probably time to become a co or a commanding officer um just because i was getting older and it seemed like maybe i should try that sergeant thing so i went for a sergeant i was able to get it and the only position open was pio public information officer and uh so I took that job, and Facebook came with PIO. So they said, you can update the Facebook page. I said, I don't even have a Facebook page. That was in, o, in 14. Um, so I took over the Facebook page, and I could see that it was absolutely boring to read. And I said, let's make this fun. And I'm going to write some things. And the chief said to me, no religion, no politics. Have, have fun with it, and don't get me sued. So... I, <laughs> I, isn't that? I mean, isn't I, that kind of your job every time I, you get into a yeah, patrol yeah. car? Yeah, don't get a suit. <laughs> uh, and I, I know some cops can't handle that, but I was able to get through it without. I've had a few lawsuits, and, and most were you know summary judgments and thrown out. So thankfully for that. Um, but that's how I became a writer for the Facebook page. Insane. That's good. Well, it's it's it was. There's a lot of things in between. Of course, we don't have a lot of time. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But but you know, over time, I just sort of ended up. I always said to guys that or young cops female or otherwise i'd say 
pick a rock, cross the stream this way. Don't feel like you got to jump all the way across. Look for a dry rock, jump on it, and stay there for a while. Try something, then go somewhere else till you get across the stream to where you want to be. I think a lot of people come in now, officers come in, and they're like, I want to be a detective. Well, that takes, you know, you're going to be on the road 10 years. Television has destroyed any hope of common sense in society. So they're like, well, you're a you know, CSI. Well, you no, know, you're not. You're a patrol officer. You're doing patrol officer function until you learn the trade and learn how to talk to people. So it takes some time to get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did my time in the hole and crawled out of it. <laughs> and here I am at your place. <laughs> so that's it. You Glamorous. Know? Yeah, no, I, so far. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to tell you it was, but it wasn't. And uh, uh, yeah, I was referring to the the, the being oh, at our probably. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is great. The yeah. height of height of success right sure. here. Yeah. Um, it, you said something that I found interesting. You said that back in the eighties, there's two hundred guys vying for one job. Yes, and that is seems to be at least in the departments in ohio the exact opposite <laughs> yeah right now to where our local department will hire guys who haven't even been through police academy sure they'll just say you're hired and we'll we'll, we'll send you send you we'll sort out the right. training later they're yes. so desperate for it's desperate everywhere and even in maine whereas we used to have well the, the test i took to get to bangor pd there were two nights of testing for three jobs and they were 200 to 250 each night at a local junior high to take the test to become a cop. Now, we don't have a test because we look at education and their background and things like that, but we bring them in for an oral board first. We talked, if we could get, if we could get two or three in each process, meaning two or three to put in, and we could get one out of every two processes, we'd be on our way to some success, but that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Because the background, it seems to me that a lot of people do a lot of things when they're younger that we didn't do when we were younger because we had some fear of our father or the cops, local (laughs) cops, right? But it seems like they try a lot of different things, whatever it may be, and then they realize, hey, I guess you're right, I shouldn't have done that. So that washes out a lot of people. Sure. Um, Not to say that some dabbling in things is a problem because we don't expect perfection but we certainly don't hire saints or angels either because i'm not one but some people carried it a bit too far sure and they're like two uh, two hours into it they're like you know i think i'd like to be a cop now i'm gonna stop selling cocaine <laughs> and i'll apply for a job and that doesn't work that way right and it's difficult to really get somebody in there so it's it's just difficult to find candidates that really are serious about getting into it and i don't blame them now this is a different time you know yeah um, i'm not sure i would jump into law enforcement if i was in this era you know in a young person i don't think i probably would but you know, you know here yeah. i am finishing up so it's okay you, do you think uh cannonballing notoriety would uh prohibit I, somebody nope, from being I a think cop that you would probably do really well in the evoc course you know where the, you know the emergency vehicle operation course you'd do fine um i i we'd take it as a matter of fact you, i'll drive you back there right now We'll get you in a uniform by tomorrow. Can I just do the driver training and skip the rest of it? You know what? Hey, if that's you know, at some point we'll probably take you just for that, just to be a driver. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I don't think it would be a real big problem. You'd probably have some things to answer to about, you know, certain questions you may have to answer honestly. How fast were you going on the trip? Or you know, it was did you break any laws on the way? And I suppose if you're honest, you'd have to say yes to both. And uh, 
Allegedly. Right. Allegedly. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not wasn't this charged isn't a with cri- anything. You were never caught for anything. Right. So you can't be charged <laughs> if you're not caught. So, um, no, I don't think that would be a big problem. That's not, I mean, that's pretty mild stuff now, you know, driving yeah. fast across the country. Uh, yeah. Most of us would be just jealous of, of you being <laughs> able to do it. Switchcast is brought to you by Boxcast. Boxcast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched Boxcast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, your wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, Boxcast is an easy, flexible live streaming platform for organizations and individuals. Boxcast is so easy, we're broadcasting this from a phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. Again, it's switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. So I, you've, uh, those that know you know this, and we were having that, this discussion outside, you take a different uh, <coughs> approach to policing than a lot of people. You're yes. light on arrests. And um, you're you're more about establishing relationships. Absolutely. Because this is a car-related podcast. Sure. I'm going to circle that back around to speeding because oh, absolutely. You know, it seems you know scoff laws are always uh, or just any car guy in general always has a interesting relationship with yes the gendarme and yep. probably the best stories that car guys tell. You know, if they want to command a room, is some story about getting pulled over, sure. whether or not they got a ticket, didn't get a ticket. You know, the best ones are obviously getting out of tickets, but you know, there's always that, you know, that uh, tense relationship, I'd say, between people who like uh, violating the speed limit. And so, from your perspective, you know, we see guys that are just by the book, you know, you're 11 over, you're getting a ticket. Mm where do you fall back when you were patrolling obviously where do you fall on that and well people might not believe this but i truly and i know most of the people i worked with would not have even stopped you for less than 20 over and that was the era where i came up i worked in a town with a lot of long stretches and 20 over listen i drive five over all the time i'm not telling people to drive five over i'm not saying drive 10 over but i'm saying mm-hmm. i don't i've never driven the speed limit exactly because it's very difficult to do and people that say they do are lying because <laughs> they're not looking down they're not paying attention i don't believe right. you know i don't believe people think when they're going 40 they think they're going 40 in a 25 but you'll stop them and they'll argue and go nuts and you're like it's okay i mean it's not me it's not a personal attack but you were going 40 and they're like oh no there's no way i could be going 40 is nothing right it's nothing yeah as you know <laughs> uh but truthfully i would stop at 20 over and i used to write at 25 or 30 over because there was so much out there at those speeds you didn't need to be picking picking along at a 10 10 yeah. over is not being stopped not in the from the people that i know i won't drop names or departments but 10 over you're you're going to take crap from your co-workers for stopping at 10 over because i've always had a theory in the mornings People are hustling to work, right? And and it doesn't mean you should give a, a, a bone or benefit to just anybody, but those people are going somewhere and they're trying to get somewhere so they can produce something so the rest of us will have a better day. So during morning rush hour, I wouldn't have stopped cars unless it was something egregious. Like you pull out around, you pass, on, you know, you go over the median strip and you go around, you're getting stopped, okay, yeah. for that. But, but truthfully... 
I think the theory in people's minds is that cops are out to look for speeders. Like they're scared of the cop behind them, which is that's the cop you fear the least because he's trying to or she's trying to go somewhere too. Right. So people, when you get behind them, they start slowing down. And if they could hear the policeman's voice in that car saying, <laughs> would you get moving? I don't. I want to get to my coffee or whatever, right? That's the truth. And I've been in a lot of cars with a lot of cops. Conversation's the same. Yeah. What are you doing? You know, you're driving me crazy because they fear that, you know, they have. The, so we've done a good job scaring the tire out of the public. But the truth of the matter is, when you talk, if you had honest answers from cops, they would say 10 over is ridiculous to stop, to write or stop. You might stop at 10 and say, hey, can you just cut it back? But I truly never wrote for much under 20 over and usually 30 over and i'd write it back to 20 over yeah because i could always get someone going 65 you know you can always get someone going 65 and a 40 right and that's easy or 90 on 1a oh, 90 on 1a <laughs> yeah or if you're out in lucerne area you'd be yeah obviously we'd be so i think speed in people's mind has been driven into them so much they fear the cops for that but truthfully if you walked up to a car and you said hey can you slow down and they said yeah i'll slow down and you say okay have a good day here's a warning because one the other theory people think that some departments in other estates collect the money right i mean that to me that's shouldn't be mm -hmm. ever an option in the state of maine the money goes to the state through the runs the court system the police departments get zero benefit back so everybody's theory that we have a quota or to, to make money we get nothing from that so basically the taxpayer pays for cars cruisers cops radars equipment and they get nothing back for speed enforcement um maybe in a government grant that comes out for new radar systems or whatever so truthfully and I know a lot of people just like me in this business or were, were in the business, a 10 over has no fear. Um, now, if you're Can in you a- Can you tell that to people in Ohio? Well, <laughs> I, I hear there, it's man. much Ooh. worse there, but if you really counted the amount of times you were stopped compared to the amount of times you personally sped, you would realize the chances of being stopped for speeding and written are very, very minuscule. You made it across the country. How many tickets did you get? Zero. Okay, so you made it across <laughs> the United States at a rate that was ridiculous, and you, you didn't get a ticket. Now, you're obviously a smart driver, and you watched ahead, and you had some help. Right. But think about how many times you're going 20 over, and you don't get stopped. So when you do get stopped, why is it a surprise, and why are you angry about it? <laughs> okay? That, so um, I've, I've never been I, – I don't think I've been stopped. I got stopped in New Hampshire probably 10 years ago on a back road where I almost hit some chickens, and it was a 25, and I had no idea. I didn't even think it was a road. Um and the cop and I talked, and I didn't tell him I was a police officer, but he was like, hey, do you know the speed limit? I said, no, I haven't. I said, there, it's a dirt road, and there's chicken. You know, I, I, was I going 25? He's like, yeah, you're going well over 25. I said, gee, it felt good, you know, whatever I was doing. <laughs> he didn't write me. He didn't, and then we talked later that I was a police officer. But um, So truthfully, I think other parts of the country that I have no experience in are dealing with maybe some 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 – uh, some speed issues that I've just never experienced that because up here cops are usually going to complaints and calls. And they don't have time to run a lot of traffic. Right. They don't. And if you, you drive up and down the interstate in Maine, state Maine state police do a heck of a job, but there's not a lot of traffic enforcement on the interstate in Maine. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to tell people to come up here and haul, but frankly, 
They're, you, they're sneaky, though. The main state police, I, I've be. always said, so in the Cannonball community, we talk about which states are the hardest sure. to speed in, and everybody assumes it's Ohio because of their reputation from way back when, and certainly there's a lot of troopers out in Ohio, Sure, and they use airplanes, and they use LIDAR, and you know they're very well trained, but they all use marked cars. They sit in pretty obvious places. Sure. You know, main state police, man, they got unmarked cars they got those friggin grabber blue mustang gts yeah they use instant on they are sneaky as all get no out. kidding well, is, I, I haven't had that experience because i i don't well you probably don't see them and you don't uh, know that you don't see them they're, well I, they're pretty I, good but yeah i just maybe i'm not going fast enough <laughs> to to get them to come out i know so that could be it too i could be just a good you know a nice yeah. calm driver but um my son is a trooper by the way um, but he li- he's in rural patrol and doesn't have mm-hmm. a lot of time for tickets. But and he drives an unmarked car, um, and he does say that it's it's a it's a boon to grab. You know, the texting and driving is his little beef. You know, yeah. and and that's mine too. Which I I fully hundred percent right. I, I agree. That's a ticket. I always I got in trouble a couple times, but I would send a crew out and say, the first person who comes back to me and gets blatant four blatant red light runners and writes ticket, I'll buy you a coffee. Because to me, that was where the issue was. Mm-hmm. Anybody can get home safely at 10 over. In my mind, that's mm-hmm. 10 over to me is just like, I don't care. But red lights, uh, not necessarily stop signs or roll through the stop sign. You know, that's really, eh, it's kind of cheap, you know. And even judges don't like that in Maine. Mm-hmm. If you get a roll through in Maine, it's got to be pretty blatant and, or caused a crash. But for my money, for safety reasons, a red light violation is a right. You write it. It's yeah. 137 bucks. It teaches a lesson, and people, you know that third car in line at the yellow is going through. And as a driver and a motorcyclist for years, I would sit at my green light for an extra two seconds every time yep. because I wasn't going to get tagged by that last idiot who yep. ran the red light. And uh, so I was able to live through that because I was just being cautious. And uh, to me, a red light violation if if you wrote that every day of the week, I would I would that's that's a crime that I believe that should be written as much as possible. Yeah, uh, that's where the safety lies. Yeah, speeding to me isn't really a safety issue unless you're being, doing something egregious with it. Right, that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it's how it's done. There's a lot of people that speed because they're unaware. Sure, and they're certainly not necessarily qualified to pilot their suburban at no. you know 85 miles an right. hour with one hand while they're you know checking on their kids right. on the back texting Rushing whatever the read the book yeah. yeah um but typically well at least in our community that you know the guys who are speeding are paying better attention i agree and i've never to my knowledge my recollection i've never almost been killed by a speeder but i've almost been killed by guys running around red sure. lights and Absolutely. every single day on my way home or to work and i have a f- eight minute commute someone comes a little bit left to center on me. Yes. And that yep. is, I, I swear, like if I can predict how I'm going to go, it's going to be someone comes left to center because oh, yeah. they're texting. I see it all And you time. see that on Route 1A in, in Maine. You know, yeah. that's 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 a big, you know, the area I'm talking about through the hills here. And uh, when I drive home that way, I try to get to the right lane whenever there is one because I know how the crashes have happened on those roads. That It's mm-hmm. someone just drifting over, not paying attention. And uh, that, to me, that's a ticket. I mean, over the line, that's a ticket. Yeah. Um, but speed per se, and I, I'd say to people I worked with and what worked for me, I'd say, listen, everybody's going to get home at 10 over. You know, they're probably going to get home. So it's not really, if you're out here for safety reasons, which is the opinion that, that I have, then then attack the problems that are safety related. And yeah. to me, 
You got the right guy here on speed because I just am not, I've never been the guy that you know. I well, try. I only bring yes men on the show. No, so, yeah, you know. that's, yeah. Well, it helps your your cause later. Yeah, so I knew yeah. a cop who said I could do this because that's what you're going to say. That's what other people say. Well, the cop told me ten over is okay. Well, then and don't tell that. Don't tell a cop that because you're getting written. But um, yeah. So speed really wasn't an issue with me. Yeah. I mean, that was just not something I saw. I didn't see it cause many crashes. I didn't yeah. see it cause many crashes. Yeah. No, and back to what you said about the cops who are stuck behind people oh. going the speed limit. People it's who ride with me who, who aren't, who don't think that way, you know, I'll pass a cop who's sure. going the speed limit on the highway. Like, sure. Why are you passing him? I'm like, it's not, he's not yeah. enforcing speed or, you know, a cop will be behind me. I'll go 10 over. Yeah. Like, well, he's going to pull you over. I'm like, no, he He's he not. wants to go 10 he over. He wants to go 10 over. He wants me to continue <laughs> traveling, you know. Um, so you're 100% correct in that. And so, yeah, it's kind of a limp, you know, a limp conversation with me when you talk speed. <laughs> it is. What What's the fastest you've ever gone in a car? Uh, in a car, I would say, let's, th- I got to think about this. I think it probably was in a, long before being a cop, I think I've done 141 in a cruiser, 141. That was yeah. topped out, trying to get to something fairly serious on an interstate. Um, I think the fastest I ever went in a car was a pre-74 Corvette just before my sister's wedding, and I was just a kid. I was a, a, pa- a, a pa- pallbearer. <laughs> I, was, I was an actor. And, uh, sorry, <laughs> sis. Um, that, my marriage is still going strong 40 years later. But anyway, I was a kid, and one of the fellows in the wedding had a, had like a 72, 73 with a 454 and a four-speed. And I was, I was think I was like 12, and he <laughs> got me on the interstate and let, you know, and I didn't drive. I would have. I would have tried. It was fantastic for me. It was, it was over 141, I believe. Yeah. At least if the speedometer was correct sure. you know in a vet you can't see it anyway it's it's deep in the in, deep in the uh the bezel but i think that's probably the fastest i ever went in a car and in a mustang at gt and not too distant past i think we hit pretty close to those numbers but i wasn't driving i was in the car yeah and i actually wanted the person to slow down because i thought <laughs> that was too much i don't want to i've seen some mustang videos where they, you know they let, off the, <laughs> they let off the throttle and it's over right and and this and this so i'm i'm pretty caught, it's usually like, only a problem if there's people nearby though yeah that's that's true that's true <laughs> or someone videoed <laughs> magnetization towards yeah, it, it does have yeah this scares me i watch a lot of that but uh <laughs> i don't have a fast car i've never really had any real fast cars and i wish i had i mean i had you know the 70s cars but just never had anything really fast which has been good probably for me i had motorcycles that were fast um but i'm not a to me to me weirdly my dream car is absolutely like a dad dream car you know like a dad dream car is like a 79 to 81 Camaro Z28 with a 165 horse high high torque motor with a, with a four speed and because that was the era when I was dreaming mm-hmm. about having one of those cars so yep. that's the dream and I look all the time for one that isn't joked up you know and that's not you know wrecked I would yep. I'd love to have a pristine version with rally wheels and the vinyl interior and a four speed it would just it would be great but that's like that and it's bad if that's my dream. <laughs> It's pretty sad, right? But you, but you that's have to my go car. outside of Maine to find a car that isn't all oh no, they're up. completely it's, it's, wrecked I, up here. People I don't just know destroy. What people and do. then they put, then they just, 
you know, the, the traction bars and the, you know, that was a thing back then, you know, traction bar, like you needed it, 165 horse. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, they jack them up and they just destroy this beautiful car. And, and so someday my dream would maybe to have one of those to, to take on on nice days. No T-top because I don't want the shake and the, mm-hmm. um, the squeaks and the yeah, leaks. Yeah, the squeaks and the leaks. Um, but, you know, and of course I'd love to have, you know, any iteration of a 911, um, but that's probably not coming anytime soon. This is not the right state for me to have one. But uh, yeah, I don't have really big dreams. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> as, right. as you can see, I'm a loser. I drive a pickup. You know, I have an HRV that's for banging around. Here. Yeah, well, you have to have a truck for you what I do. I was talking to your dad on the way the in. Camp roads. Yeah, I just you know, I plow roads. I pull a tractor, and, and sadly, my life is in the cab of a truck. But um, I do. We do have a Miata, and uh, early Miata that I gave my my lovely wife. And uh, so we're working. That's actually at my buddy's house right now, having a going over in a timing belt because it just hit seventy thousand. It's a ninety six. It's beautiful. So I'll let her drive that me around in that. We have a good time. And then I start looking at trucks like mine. I think I I need to be out of this car asap because we're gonna die. <laughs> uh, because in this state, he's right under a car truck. Um, so yeah, my 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 dreams are very weak. My dreams right. are weak. Automotive dreams. You have other dreams that you uh, yeah yeah I fulfilled yeah. what I wanted to do yeah yeah. yeah. Nathan's Detailing is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Nathan's Detailing is a company in Cleveland, Ohio that provides mobile detailing services for individuals and dealerships. They also offer PPF and ceramic coating installations. With over 800 Google reviews and an impressive 4.9 star rating, Nathan's Detailing is the go-to shop for all of your detailing and protection needs. With Nathan's, convenience is key. Their mobile detailing technicians bring the power, water, and supplies to your home or work and detail your car on site. Check out the link in our description for free interior fabric protection or leather conditioning with your purchase. At Nathan's Detailing, this smiles for you. Um, what is the um, what is your favorite or do you think the best cruiser? You've, you've been doing oh. this long oh, enough yeah, that I know. you've had a lot of them. Um, All right. This is a good question. Yeah. This is a good question. I figured we'd go here, so I did look back at my life. For a time, believe it or not, the 80, uh, 88 Dodge Diplomat came with a 318 that had domed pistons, and it was a hot little car. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible handling car, but that would go. That and, and, and Dodge Diplomats didn't hold up well to police work. They had a really big, meaty tire in the four-door, and it was a Chrysler product. And I kind of was a Mopar guy as a kid. I started out with a Plymouth Satellite. It was my first car. Rusty, but it was a Satellite, 74. Um, post the good years. It was, you know, yeah. smogged up and wrecked. But that little 318 Dodge Diplomat was a cool car and nobody had, there weren't a lot of them around. So mm-hmm. I've seen a few of them on the, I watched some police car sites looking for a cruiser because I wouldn't mind having one um, if it was right. Uh, that was a fast, fast car. Fast, but not reliable. Not reliable. So you could say they were on the force for a good time, not for a long time. Not for a long time. I, I have a friend, I mentioned his name because he wouldn't care, Tommy Rowe. He worked the back part of Hamden, Maine, as a patrol officer, and he was out there to get the OUIs. He called that section of back Route 69 of Hamden, Maine, the row zone. (laughs) Because he was like, he had his little hat jacked down, and he would write you a ticket for a lot of things. But he loved that 318. He used to take me for a few rides, and um, he I was a young cop, so I was in the passenger seat a lot. Um, and it wasn't very big in there. It was quite small, compact. It really is a, a compact car, the Diplomat. But if you're going to come down to it, 
it's going to be a Chevy Caprice, and it's probably going to be the the generation from ninety two one two through ninety five yep. probably. The Caprice nine C one with LT one. That yep. was a go. It was big. It didn't look like it would go like it did. It was like a lumbering dinosaur. But when you opened that, it, and it had such a small block sound, you know that that mm-hmm. Chevy small block, and. Uh, when we got one of those, we uh, all of us were around the hood. We got one, a brand new one, and you know it had the silicone hoses, and it was set up with that LT engine, so it was set up to haul. And that car would move, and that probably would do about, depending if you had a light bar or no light bar on it. You know, I think 140, 142, somewhere in there. Yeah, about and 90 it, with a light bar. Yeah, with a light bar, <laughs> and it and you know changed the whole dynamics and the sound inside the car too. Start just, getting lift. Oh yeah, you yeah, it was like a wing. Um, that was a great car. It was comfortable. It would turn around on snowy roads to turn around on a car, chasing OUIs or whatever you were doing. You could, you know, on a snowy road, you could hit the brakes and just hit it, and it would just go around, and you'd almost in a perfect 180, and you'd be right in the other lane to go after a car. And I'm talking with snow on the road. Yeah. <laughs> But it would also do a three-point turn. I know how to do that when it's a driver. <laughs> yeah, you know, this. I don't think this. Yeah, that probably would have done it. But it would have caused someone to call the, the chief. And uh, so you you had to figure out when you were going to do those things. But a three-point turn in that car was easy. Go to the other side of the road. Come around. You're right in the. So it was a great car. It drove nice. It had a good ride. The air conditioning worked great. It hauled. And it sounded great. They lasted great. forever too, didn't and, they? Yeah. Well, we had. I mean, I think rebuilt. Massachusetts is still using them. <laughs> Well, Bangor PD had a fleet. It was the time when cars were going away and they were coming into the Chevy Impalas, these little, those front-wheel drive Impalas with the three, eight maybe. And Bangor sent away four or five of those to be rebuilt at Shaheen Chevrolet out in Michigan. And they rebuilt the whole car. New engine, new tranny, redid the suspension, took care of any body issues, repainted new seats, new floor coverings, everything. It was about 20 grand, as I recall, and they came back on a truck from Shaheen Chevrolet. Um, and they were just like they were when we got them new. And that was in 90, 96, 97, 98, those cars were coming back because they were gone, but we had some rebuilt because it was such a good car. Mm-hmm. And they even held up well after the rebuilds. They they held up just like a new car. Yeah, And, uh, and so we had those into the early 2000s. Which made that's a long time for a car. Those cars get sent away with maybe a hundred and fifty to hundred sixty thousand of city miles, which is brutal on a cruiser. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, well, even that's after, a lot of hours because oh, you guys are idling. Oh, absolutely. All the time. Even then, to send them away, the cab companies were fighting to get them right because they could rebuild them. And I know a lot of those cruisers went to cab service for another three hundred thousand miles. Yeah, um, wow, they were awesome. just a great car. They were just a great car. And so I, I think anybody who had that year, the early, you know, square body Chevys were great, the Impalas, the, the Caprice Classics, but that was the car. To me, since then, Crown Vicks, people talk about, it's no, no comparison. What's the worst cop car? That Impala, that 3.8 Impala front wheel drive we got. That oh, was the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was just a horrible car right from the beginning. It, it was small. It was it, it it went okay. Don't get me wrong. It went pretty well for, for city policing. Yeah. I don't think you could have put it on the interstate to do anything. I think front wheel drive just doesn't hold up very no, well to no, that no, kind no, of No, the suspensions, you could tell the difference within twenty or 30,000 miles. And I always said the... the uh, uh, Crown Vicks that we got. People now, if a cop came through that era, it's like me wanting a 165 horse E28, right? <laughs> so they have this theory that the Crown Vic was a car that they wanted, but 
in 30,000 miles, that was a rattle box underneath. You know, that was just a rattling. I, I just didn't like. Now, every cop's experience depends on where that car was used. If you were running those up and down the interstate, I think the state police liked them. But if you were doing city policing and turning around, driving, running, hitting potholes and trying to get up hills in the winter, and uh, it, it wore them out. And yeah. so that was probably... It yeah, you wasn't didn't the worst see many car. of them out there, and you didn't see them out there for long. No, no, no. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. anyway, that, I guess those are my top top police cars. I'd love to have been in the air with the big block Mopars. You yeah. know, I would have loved to have been. Uh, or have Mustang SSPs. You absolutely. never got those yeah. up here, right? Yeah, and I had ridden in a couple. The state police in the early 90s had uh, had a couple of Camaros with the yep. LT1. They, they were, they were a go and I yep. had a couple of friends that were troopers, so we went for a ride in those, and they went nice. Yep. And they got the Mustangs. and But there's not it's not a really a big call for a fast car for a cop you can get there and you can't beat motorola as they say you can if you're good maybe you could do it you, <laughs> you might dog we might did motorola we, but yeah we, they, when we're in colorado actually this is this is your story time but I'll, no I'm, I'll i gotta hear it um we're in uh western colorado and somebody called us in and they knew exactly what our car was because we had a, a audi s6 designed or, or disguised to look kind of like a ford taurus police interceptor oh, we had okay. the reflective chevrons on the back we had big black grill and uh and just a sticker with a unit number you know just yeah. arbitrary sure. number and you know yeah. nothing illegal just random stuff sure. so that if somebody looked at it they go okay I, might maybe be an unmarked car yeah, sure maybe an and uh we passed somebody and we heard come in over the scanner a call in that uh, there was a white Audi traveling at a high rate of speed, driving aggressively, and it was disguised to look like a police car. And they called out the unit number on the back, like the whole thing. I mean, they just they had us. Made. Did you hear this on the scanner? Yes. Too? Okay. But um, they said, I'll, I'll shorten the story. But they, when they when we heard it call come over the scanner, they said we were at mile marker eighteen. And we were approaching the Utah border, and we had recently passed a cop sitting in the median. And so I'm like going through the maps trying to figure out where he was because he came back on the radio, said, Okay, we're, you know, I'm Set I got my eyes up. Right. Here's where I'm posted up. And I figured out we were at mile marker 13 when they said we were at mile marker 18, and we had already passed him. Wow. So they had no idea no. where we were, and we were already so far ahead because we were hall in the mail yeah that they they didn't have a chance so i i knew we were there's likely nobody between there and the border so i told my co-driver i said put the hammer down we gotta get to utah you get, let's get out <laughs> get of the state start. yeah we need a new state yeah. new, new memories but yeah we we did beat the radio in in that sense. yeah absolutely so yeah it might have been harder if we were farther east in the state but yeah uh, you probably would have ended up in some kind of possibly <laughs> crowbar hotel for that <laughs> crowbar hotel um so back to your job and kind of what the the uh facebook page has has done for your department and maybe for police work in general but um police work is difficult it's dangerous and it is that even without the sense of public distrust that yes we have right now um <clears throat> And you've used the Facebook page, in a sense, to create um, maybe a digital version of community policing. Absolutely. Um, yep. Your philosophy is to create relationships with people. Yes. Um, and that is what a lot of people are calling for 
Um, you know, a lot of people are calling for defund the police and sure. do away with them, but oh, a lot yeah. of people say, hey, we need to get back to the community policing. Yes. They shouldn't be hiding behind their tinted windows and their patrol cars. Yeah. Um, and that would improve police work. Have you seen, was that deliberate on your part for the Facebook page to do that? Was it just a, a yeah. byproduct? And have you seen it actually make a difference in effectiveness of your department and how they react and relate to the community and, and criminals in general? I think the overall feel that we were trying to put out, or I was trying to put out there when I say that, I mean, it was talked about with the chief. Let's just make this, make us more approachable. And, and to be more approachable, you do have to be accessible, right? I mean, that's the idea. One of the things that have happened with community policing, when people say that no one's doing it and, and we need to do more of it, the problem is, is that you're, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't. Because if you're out of the car playing basketball with a group of kids, there's certainly everybody's happy about that when they see that on a nice, fresh YouTube mm -hmm. video. If there's a burglary across town, even though you would not have caught the burglar, catching a burglar in progress is pretty rare as a cop. It happens, but it's rare. So if somebody on that side of town caught wind that you're over here with kids playing basketball, they're going to say you're not doing your job. And on the other hand, if you're driving up and down alleys, flash your lights and talking to people who look like they may have just had a, you know, may, may have just committed a burglary, say, they, you know, because people wandering around in an alley in the dark for no reason, sometimes we check on them, right? Then you're profiling. Well, that's what they say, but really, that's what you're paying us to do. You're paying us yeah. to make sure that we're out there, we're present, and we're going to identify or speak to, no matter what creed, color, or religion, we're going to stop and talk to people on the street. Now, people don't like that either. You know, oh, that's not community policing. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it is part of the community policing. But the person would complain that you were caught shooting hoops with a kid, and they're also going to complain that you stopped a couple of fellows that looked like, yeah, they were up to maybe some nefarious things out behind a business in your town. You cannot win, no matter what, because whatever you did, the opposite happened somewhere else. You are responsible, and you're lazy, and you're wasting money. And over here, you're a uh, strong arm in the public. So you, what I thought of is that let's just have an open relationship where we have a conversation, the, the comments come in, and that allowed people to have an open line of communication, at least through Facebook. They could send a message, say, hey, listen, I'm watching this right now. Yeah, send us a message. We'll look into it. I wasn't asking people to rat on people. I was just saying, look, if you've got an issue, send us a note. And if we've got an area patrol of the city where you're having some trouble late, late night uh, hijinks are going on let us know we'll put a car over in that area so they could reach out to us that way um and it also gave us a thing to point to it said well the reason we're over there is because this is this is the list of messages this week there you know there's people writing on buildings and so we'll go over and hit that area um you can't win you cannot win the court of public opinion it's it, <laughs> it, it just there's no winning because then I've Listen, stopped trying. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can see where people give up. You got to keep, for us, for us, we're being paid for by the taxpayer and we got to keep trying. But the same people that say, why were you bothering that person in mental health crisis and then ended up having a situation that was deadly force with Jews because they may use deadly force? Why were you there? Well, we were called there. We were called. You call us, we go. We can't really fix. We can't say no. 
to many things. We can't say no when they call. Hey, listen, this guy's acting up. He's got a tinfoil hat. Go over the top here. No shirt, and he's got a knife in his hand. We're going to go. That's who's going to go. Because if you're thinking that there's a community person, a community mental health liaison out there that's going to shoot over to that scene, you're wrong. It's not happening. Not in Maine. Now, we had them in our department. We had we worked directly with. So you go over there. Things go bad. That person becomes physical. You have to do a physical arrest. In some, in some cases, worse things happen. Um, everybody's mad because, oh, that, that person's in crisis. He doesn't need the cop or she doesn't need the cop. Okay, but <laughs> you called us. And we came and we are going to handle it the best we can up to a point. And if it gets physical or they become physical, well, no matter who you are, we don't let people just assault us and not do something. Right. It just doesn't yeah. happen um, because we have to go to the next call. So society really is not sure what they want. They want everything, but they want nothing at the same time. And it's very difficult to maybe navigate that. So we found that the page gave us an open line of communication both ways, not just us writing, but people wrote back, they read it. And when they read it, well, it builds rapport and, and they might call you, they might feel more comfortable next time they see a Bangor cop. I'm not, I do, I did see a lot of fruit from that labor um, because I think during the times when the when nationally there was a lot of bad incidents amongst cops and in, 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 uh, in the last few years where there's some shootings that were questionable and some, killings that were horrendous and horrific that we remember um in those times we weren't taking quite the hit because we had a pretty good relationship with our city with our people in our city so i think it was i think it helped but it didn't change everything um but i also have a difficult time in my mind as a police officer knowing how i tried to police and knowing most of the cops that i knew or hung around with were policing the same way how you compare us to a cop in another state doing another job in a different way you hate all of us now because of what that's that's bias right there mm -hmm. because of that cop doing something that was completely incorrect and should go to prison for whatever happened you hate us i don't hate your surgeon because he, I don't hate my surgeon because a surgeon took off the wrong leg at, in Cleveland. I don't, yeah. I don't hate that, every doctor. I have to base it on the person I'm dealing with. And I wish people could look at that and say, how is my department, how is my relationship, how is our city department, how is their relationship with us? Because that's what matters to you right then. Now, not, not saying you can't have, you know, d disagree with things that have happened and, and, and stand your ground and protest. I have no issue with that. But look at your local department. How are they treating it? And, and go tell them. Go there when it's not a crisis and, and meet and talk and, and, and work through some of those things. And I think, I know at Bangor, we're open to that. We yeah. always have been open to that. So I think this is just a culmination of maybe that attitude, that page was just a culmination of our attitude towards what we want. Hey, hey have a conversation with us and maybe we can learn something before things go bad, you know? And that's what I hope happened. I, I, I liken it somewhat to um, uh, teaching, right? So there are teachers who have inappropriate relationships with students. Yes. The education system has a lot of issues in yes. it. Yeah. And the same thing could be said about the justice system. It's certainly sure. broken in a lot of ways. Oh, there's, yes. There's bad cops. But nobody says... There's nobody that will deny that teaching is a noble position sure. because of those things. Yep, that's a very and good analogy. My perspective on police, I have problems with some cops. Sure. I've, you know, and I have problems with 
some of the justice system and how it operates, but the office of you know law enforcement is a noble position because you are swearing to essentially, uh, even if you don't uphold this, you are swearing to put other people's needs mm-hmm. and other people's lives higher than your own, and you're you're out there to defend and protect them. Sure. And anybody who's willing to do that uh, is, in my mind, better than me because. I'm um, probably not willing to I, do that. I don't at know least if, not yeah. for what they want to do. I think pay. we all have, we just all tuned a little different, honestly, <laughs> I, Doug. And, and I think it's a really good analogy on the teachers. And the, you, you know, every year somewhere in Florida, at least, <laughs> at minimum, a beautiful teacher will have some relationship with a 13-year-old boy. And 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 it's incredible to me how much it happens, right? But no one hates all teachers. They, they but again, ours has a deadly force uh, con- component in, right. in situations. And I watched, I was just having a conversation with a friend who was a cop uh, within a week. And we were talking about shooting, police shootings, because cops talk to each other about these things because we see what's going on in society. And I'm a firm believer that we do shoot too many people. We, meaning police officers nationwide. Um, Because I came up at a time, I, I was brought up by old cops who said, hey, Get behind that tree and let's see what we can do with this situation. Let's stay behind the tree, right? I mean, and this oversimplification. But the truth is, if you've got cover in many situations, you just don't have to approach things so quickly. Mm-hmm. But when you come up with that attitude, like, let's take some time. If no one else is in danger, let's just, uh, let's just stand back a hair and see if we can get this taken care of. That's how I came up. And so that's how I tried to do my job. So, yeah, you're not the hero rushing in to just, you don't blatantly run in to get shot, but you're also, hey, let's get close enough, but let's make sure we're secure. What I see a lot nationwide is this quick approach to these people in a park or mm-hmm. a place where you could have some cover and conversation. And I call it cover and conversation in my book. Um, but I think we miss some of that. And I don't know how the training is going nationally, but I know in Maine, that's one thing we try to do. But there are, One of the things that all there's a lot of talk about police officers um, and deadly force, but the fact is the deadly force rules in the state of Maine are the same for a cop as they are for any citizen, and that is if you're in fear for your life or in fear of a possible or you know a pretty good chance of serious bodily injury, you can use deadly force. That that is the overpowering rule for a cop in Maine. That is it, but it's also the same rule for you in Maine. If you are in fear for your life and someone's coming at you, someone will say, well, that's a knife. You, you know, Well, the knives can kill you, and that is a deadly mm-hmm. force situation. No matter what the world says, the fact is, if you want to get stabbed, then have at it. But that's not what I want to do. And, and if someone has a knife, a police officer has been trained to use deadly force. You use the next step up, which is a firearm. But frankly, I consider them equals, and maybe a knife is worse in my mind. I would much rather be shot than stabbed <laughs> right. because I've seen stabbings, and I know what it does, and it goes through your vest. It's, it's, that's why there's a lot of people get all concerned over knives. It's like, well, don't raise a knife to a police officer because probably their training indicates that they should use deadly force. But that said, there are times when someone has a knife that I have seen nationally that you could have got behind a tree and you could have waited it out. Mm-hmm. Now, you obviously got to protect other people, too. So there's a lot of things that, that are thrown into that soup that you've got to stir. But I do think nationally that some that the shootings have increased to a point where I'm like, and I also believe that society believes they can do anything they want. As a general rule is 
parents used to tell you not to do those things. And it seems like now, not just against law enforcement, but against any authority, parents say, hey, you don't have to do that. No, you don't have to do what anybody says. To a point, that's true. But yep. there is a point when you have to have a rule, and the rule has to be applied equally, and it also has to be enforced. So we've got kind of a problem societally that people think they can do anything they want, and then we also have on this end police officers, maybe their training is not up to snuff. I don't know. I can't speak to their training, but I can speak to mine, and I know that I was able to get through, luckily, without having to, to use deadly force on someone. It came close many times, but it didn't sure. happen. Um so that said, I don't know the answer, but I also know it's not all cops when one cop is bad. The all cops are bastards terminology that people use. It's just not true. I, yeah. It's just not true. I know it's not true because I worked with them, and I know who I worked with. And if we were the only people hiring racists that, that people have believed over time, we would. If, we, if I could find 90 racists to be with me at that police department, it would be an amazing feat in itself <laughs> that those people wouldn't be at the garage or at the pharmacy and the grocery store too, right? To get 90 at one spot. So all cops are racist, not true. Yeah. Are there racist cops? Yes, I'm not going to deny that, but to say all cops are racist. Well, there's human cops. And that, y yes. Yeah, yeah. you get yeah, that we, in we, any profession. It, so there's a lot of things, and it's, you know, I'm glad to be out of it. I'm glad to be out of the mess and not have to, to, to talk constantly about it to people who ask, ask questions. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm free of that now, and I can say what I think and think what I say, and uh, I'm happy about that. I'm happy yeah. to be away from it all. Yeah, I like it, I, at least for, I habitually watch police chases of course you on do. YouTube. And sooner or later, you're going to be in one. <laughs> <laughs> and I liken that to, I, I mean, I can see from that that is purely a lack of training issue. Oh, sure. Because I liken police chases to five-year-olds playing soccer. You know, that's, that's they, they just swarm. Yes. You got 18 cops chasing one car all behind him, and I'm going... What the heck are you guys doing? No, it, it's 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 a it's a you know. melee as at best, and I've been in a few pretty decent chases, um, but you really have to have a chief, meaning a, a leader of those things, to to watch from afar. And I think what's happening now, at least in our area, that every CEO has the right to call them, and as soon as you find out that it's for something like a plate or a a minor traffic violation, there isn't a sergeant in Maine that's not going to say, "Cut it off." Because it doesn't matter, yeah. right? And I'm a firm believer in cutting them off because I know what's going to happen next. Because they only end one way or two ways. It's a crash or it's a crash. <laughs> you know, that's what happens. <laughs> Either the cops uh, crash or the perp crashes. And they're going to blame the, they're gonna yeah. blame the police. So I'd rather yeah. just say, cut it off, move on, get their plate. We'll get them in a week. They'll be around. These people are all around. Um, but again... A chase in a situation where someone's used deadly force or robbed, you know, that's a little different situation. But for traffic offenses, chases are kind of, a, for me, a no-go. I would have called every one of them off. You know, mm -hmm. I would just say, nope, done. We're out. Done. done. D don't be the person chasing that car that kills another innocent person. Um, it's just not worth it. It's. I, I don't know. Why can't we learn to say no? You know, no, no, I'm, down, I'm out. You know, that's me. But I'm not everybody. Adrenaline. Yeah, adrenaline is a problem. I know if I was a cop, I would never call off a chase and I'd sure. my radio would happen to not work if somebody I, called me off yeah because you Can enjoy the art no. of the chase right what <laughs> yeah. bad reception yeah. but when you know that the lawsuit's <laughs> going to have six six numbers after it for for your entire agency everybody involved any people who heard about it you realize <laughs> yeah it's not quite worth it and if somebody died at the other end that wasn't involved 
it's just yeah, I don't want that on my conscience. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and there's a lot of that in the the videos I watch. There's a lot of a lot of them. So. Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. If you're looking for a gift for somebody you like or for garage art for your own place, check out CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST for a 25.39% discount at checkout. Again, go to CelebrityMachines.com and use discount code SWITCHCAST. Getting over to your writing, Mm -hmm. you've written a few books over the course of um your police career sure and um you have kind of a a different way of looking at things and my thought is that comedians are not funny joke writers they're people with just a warped perspective on life they see things differently right so what happened to you as a child that gave you such a great perspective (laughs) hey listen you're writing i gotta tell you that i think i had maybe the best childhood to do what i do now because i moved a lot uh, my dad is a minister uh, and an insurance agent. I always said it covered both ends, right? <laughs> if you didn't take <laughs> the policy, right, 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 yeah, so, so, uh, so I grew up with a, a very funny dad, um, sarcastic but fun, lovable guy, and he's still around, thank God. Um, but we moved a lot, and I was... I had buck teeth, like like worse than they are now. I literally had to have Canadians work on it because we lived in that end of the state. So I was a product, or I was possibly I was picked on at every school for until I became at least had braces when I was in like ninth grade. Um, and so I'm, I'm it's still a good, it's still a great way to learn how to handle yourself, right? Because you either fought with kids in those days, we fought, or you made jokes. And if you could make better jokes and make other people laugh, you became the winner. And so I learned how to make friends and I learned to be fairly sarcastic and fairly quick-witted. And I think moving from school to school helped me build this, maybe not a shell, but uh, at least an armor against some of that mm-hmm. stuff. Cause, and, and I really hate bullies to this day. And, and I didn't become a cop to get back at anybody who made fun of me. <laughs> Uh, but frankly, I also saw it from an angle of a kid who really wasn't uh, not a good-looking kid. I'm not a popular kid. But I found that jokes and humor could control a room or a classroom or people. I really did. And uh, so uh, I think that's maybe what happened. And so when I write things now, I self-deprecate at a ridiculous level because I truly feel like that. I, You know when someone's egotistically bragging themselves up what else is going on there. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I look at those people and say, well, they're hurting, man. So I always have found like you self-deprecate and you can control an entire audience in no time at all. I was at a conference in a National Institute of Justice Conference, a cold case homicide conference, taking a case that I had with my partner in, it was in Pittsburgh. It was probably... 2000 
it was probably 2010. Anyway, it was a national conference and I had gone on some website and sent in this case because we're looking for other cops to give us some tips. Now we had, we had no DNA, we had blood samples, but we had the guy's DNA, I should say, but no connection. So we went to this national conference where cops would come and they would bring their case before hundreds of other cops and investigators, forensic people, forensic psychologists, forensic anthropologists. It was a great conference, don't get me wrong. But we were gonna present, they, they, they heard me speak somewhere and they said, hey, you could present that case. I said, yeah, I can bring the case. So my partner and I went to Pittsburgh. We made a PowerPoint of all the people who didn't do it. That was, so everybody goes and they're like, we had this guy and you have this egotistical cop up there talking about how close we are. And what we did was we presented our case in a manner that it was humorous. So we had, we had taken over 75 DNA samples from people in the street and homeless community because that's where the murder happened. And it was a person who was strangled and burned under a bridge in Bangor. So we put a PowerPoint together with each person's picture and we got the audience participation and said, this guy claimed we had these, some of these people admitted to other people they did the murder and we'd take their DNA sample and they didn't do it. Well, by the third slide, the whole crowd would say, and this guy, and they'd say, he didn't do it. And that's what we went through. Well, we built such good rapport with the crowd, but the real key to that conference was and we didn't get any good tips, by the way. <laughs> we solved it because the guy you ended put up, out the tip jar. We, but we did. It went just home did with three dollars. And so people came up to us. That was the best presentation we've ever seen. You guys, what do you? What's your deal? You comedians were saying, no, we're just being honest that we're mopes. We can't get this solved. We've got DNA. We don't know where to go to next. But we didn't expect you were going to help us because you're just like us. But we figured <laughs> it would be at least fun to show you all the people we took DNA samples from. But the key to that conference was the guy before us. And I always said, it speak, it's not bad to speak last at a conference because you can kind of judge the crowd. He was a forensic anthropologist and a genius. And he was a fellow that worked on uh, found females left like all through the Midwest. He could judge where they'd been by taking hair samples and the water, uh, the way the water in different sections of the country affected how her hair grew. Okay, so hmm. I'm not getting into this too deep because I can't explain it, but it was fantastic stuff. And he could put a body back together with one bone kind of thing, but he told us that the whole time. And he turned off, I was at a table with a bunch of cops, I like to watch people when they hear a speaker, and he said, now no one else in America can do what I'm doing. Well, the minute you say that, you have just shut down, you do it to a room full of cops, they're done. Because they want you to be at least like them, you can be smarter, but just prove it, but don't tell us you are. So this guy was fantastic. But every time he had a chance to tell us, he'd say, now I am probably the world's most mm -mm, fantastic this and that. He was, but he told us he was. He didn't need to tell us he was. He just needed to be that person, right? There's a proverb to that. It says, let, another lips, let another's lips praise you and not your own. Exactly right. And yeah. so... That shut down. Well, we got we, we got the highest, you know, when they rate the conference, we got the highest level. We're just a couple of guys from Maine doing a, you know, there was a lot of really great, they had PowerPoints. We just took pictures of the people who didn't do it and then explained the case. So they all had it. And we had a case file we passed around. And we actually got some good help from some really great detectives nationally. But the fact is they enjoyed our presentation and they listened to it because we told them that we were idiots the whole time. <laughs> And I think that's how I've chosen to live my life. I think that telling people you're an idiot 
and then proving otherwise in the way you act and do is much more better it's much better than you telling them how awesome you were at your job i had a good career and i was very successful but i was only successful because people around me helped um you know i get lucky on this case i maybe make a friend with a killer and, and he'd tell me uh, you know something that he wouldn't tell anybody else because i was nice to him so i found out that that's really the way to sell yourself is to not sell yourself yeah give yourself away it's free and people will come and they'll pay to, they'll pay to see you the next time and that's the key and uh so i think that that growing up that way self-deprecation and giving making fun of yourself before someone else has a chance sometimes takes the wind right out of the room and then they have to listen to you and uh we did solve that case by the way because that uh it's a native american man from um, um he was a blackfoot indian and he got bagged in rapid city after he uh a, a meth lab at his house they got his dna and that was our killer it was the match it was the match but it, it didn't come from any help from that but it came finally and we were able to convict him um, and, and that was in the story that so we drove cross country with him. That's a good driving story. Um, and I can tell you, I can't tell it here, but <laughs> we drove fast and we were scared because he's six foot seven, about 350, and very angry about everything. And so, what we did to keep him happy, and he's actually, we had a great conversation. He was a reader, he rode buses around the country. And I think in this, in this instance, he killed this person maybe with the help of somebody else, but they've never given themselves up and he wouldn't give them up. But he was a reader, well spoken told some great jokes and we 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 built rapport with him by giving him hostess snowballs because he loved those and i i bought as soon as i found out he loved hostess twinkies and snowballs uh i bought a bag load somewhere in the midwest and i would give them to him every time he'd get a little grouchy and it you feed a man and he would tell you things now he didn't admit it but he didn't kill us on the way back and we my my lieutenant used to say if i hear of a burned out van with two idiots in it in chicago i'm gonna know it's you idiot because this guy had burned the body uh we had a great trip back and we actually became friendly with a fellow and he ended up pleading guilty on a on, on a lesser a little lesser charge than the straight up murder but it just shows build rapport with people and you, you don't need to be a hero you can tell the truth about yourself and people are going to like you more and they're going to talk to you more when you're like them you got to be like them and everybody has flaws you know we all try to hold them but we do so tell people who cares whatever they'll figure it out you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's on display obviously yeah 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 um <clears throat> let's see sorry checking my notes here amateur hour yeah um i'll in the the wrap-up notes i won't make you endure your own uh reading here but sure. I, I i had some um pages dog-eared from one of your books the detective in the dooryard sure and I'll, I'll um i'll read them in the the, the summary oh, for, for everybody yeah. else yeah great um but the the thing that uh i noticed and you know some of them make me laugh some of them bring a little bit of a tear to my eye which is tough to admit as a, as a guy you yeah, know especially yeah, yeah. you know mainers sure. never main men don't yeah. cry yeah no we don't cry. um but the thing that seems to have struck a chord with everybody is just the that you find the positive in seemingly every situation now sometimes it's just a like i said earlier a, a warped perspective you're seeing something differently oh uh, yeah and it's not a positive situation there's nothing positive about it but you have a way of just communicating it but in general your stories have a positive tone to them you're looking sure. for that yes and that is what is really 
struck a chord with your readers and I think is probably one of the main reasons that it has gained such national renown in terms of the Facebook page. Would you agree with that? I, I think I would. I think that I don't always think that way, but I really try to try to think that way because I think we're all typically maybe again it comes back to the self-deprecate we, we know we don't think we're good enough. i mean the people that i have dealt with don't think they're good enough i mean they may tell you they're better than everything else but typically they don't believe they're good enough and the fact of the matter is is i think everybody's looking for that that dream but i think that we my buddy used to say he moved to ohio like a fellow i visit in dublin ohio every year he used to say these are the golden days he would say that and i i've always it doesn't make sense unless maybe you're in a conversation with this fellow, but he'd always say, this is the time. This is the happy time right now. You're going to look back and say, that was the golden time. And I think people are always looking to get to the golden time when they forget that they might be in it. You know, I, I think I am. I'm sitting at someone's camp talking to a fellow from Ohio and about a book I wrote. Maybe this is the golden day, right? I mean, so I, I just find that I think we miss out by always trying to chase the dream when we might be living it. I really think we yeah. are. And I, I, you are, right? You are. I yeah. mean, you're living the dream. And you, everybody can't say that. There's no question. There's people living in some horrible situations in America. But overall, what a place to live. What a time to live. And uh, I appreciate I appreciate very many, I appreciate a cold Coca-Cola. I, I do. I tr and I grew up with not a lot. Not We weren't poor, but we certainly didn't. There was no... You know, the no extras growing up with four, you know, three sisters and uh, for the minister because it's just the way it is. But truthfully, uh, I think we are in the time and I think people need to step back, take a minute and say, I'm not a, you know, they look at social media and it creates this. Everybody's living this good life, right? They're living life just like you are. You yeah. know, their golden day might be today. It might have been yesterday. But factually, I did try. I try to put that out there in words and I try to look at those things myself because sometimes I can find myself, you know, thinking things are crappy, but then I just take a minute and I take yeah. a minute and take a breath because I'm living in maybe the best place on earth at the best time, you know? So maybe, and I, maybe I was wrong in that is actually what struck a chord is not the positivity. Obviously, you're finding a positive outlook in the midst of negative situations, but it's more that you're honest. You're honest about your faults. You're oh, honest yeah. about the difficulty of the job. Oh, yes. And wrapped up in that, you're finding positive outlook. Yes. But you're honest with people. And that's what people truly crave, even though they say they don't, they think they don't. Because yeah. when you alluded to the social media, social media is one big lie. It's people oh. putting up their best foot forward all the time. Yeah. And that's not reality. No. Look, look you and watch you're it. giving both sides of things i try to i try to I, and i i do I, I you know certainly i see those those dream sites and these people they're beautiful but then you see what they've done to the people been looking they've, at my instagram yeah, obviously yours is, i've never seen anything quite as sexy as you <laughs> on instagram um yeah i think i've, I've tried to purport that it's it, i just think we just need to sit back and maybe accept our plight and and make it better instead of griping you know i you know i i, I don't find myself i don't gripe I don't gripe because I know it could be so much worse, right? I am a, a, a fan of it could be worse, right? There was mm -hmm. a, the old Billy Crystal bit on Saturday Night Live. Was, yeah, but my, you know, I, you know, it could, you know, it, it, it could be worse. It could be worse. And so, Always. you know, yeah, I appreciate yeah. the day. I appreciate this. And, you know, and, and I, I told early on this writing thing, I had a, 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 
a major book company reached out to me and one of their major editors and a wonderful lady. And she said, well, you want to write a book? Because she was reading my post. I said, no, I don't think so. I don't think I could write a book. I don't know if I could do it. I, that, that's not something I'm dreaming of. And as she talked to me and she explained why she thought I should, um, and she's been a great coach through this in, at times, I, I realized, well, if I could write a book, that would be great. And if it was successful, that'd be better. But if worse comes to worse, I can still write. And it doesn't have to sell a book because I like doing it, right? And I could write in the sand at camp. In the end, I'm going to go back to my place, and if this all went down the tubes, I don't really care. I, that's that's a beautiful place to be to say, whatever happens, happens. Because it's scary when you put a book out. It's scary. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, who's going to buy this, right? I wouldn't buy it. I mean, I'm not going to buy this book. So when it <laughs> started, I haven't written one yet. <laughs> well, it's scary. But, you know, uh, you put your foot out there. And in the end, I said... Well, at least I'll have written a book, and now I can say I wrote a book, and now I can say I wrote two, and they're both, mar I like to call them marginally successful. For a guy from Maine, they're very successful. They're not Stephen King level because no one's going to be there, right? Yeah. Don't compare yourself. Just say, was this successful in my mind? Yeah, this is successful. And now if I wrote another one, it went down the pooper. Okay. That's okay, too. It doesn't matter. It won't matter one bit. In the end, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so it's fun to write from that, from that viewpoint of, I can sit in an Adirondack tonight, stare at a lake with no boats on it, and I can sit there, have a fire, and you know I'm not dying today of something yet <laughs> uh, that you know of. That I know of. Yep. Right. But well, just make them write them. See, this is actually good. You don't use that fancy um, right. No paper. No slip so, covers. You just right. Blow away so or if, go it, under if a it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't sell, it's good firewood. You could do all kinds of yep. stuff with it. I, uh, one of the fellows when I wrote for Car Talk for a short time. Um, uh, my friend Doug from there said, he goes, listen, I've written a book. He said, it ended up in a Chinese landfill. Don't think it's such a great thing because it could end up in a landfill. And I've thought that every time I put a book out, I think, yeah, it could end up in a Chinese landfill. But, you know, it'll be, you know, they can build something on it, you know, and I'll be under it. So who cares? <laughs> Whatever. We just flow. Well, on that note. For those of you who want to uh, experience Tim's humor, and uh, I guess you could say we could save the planet, right? Because if you buy a book, it doesn't end up in a landfill. So what Good books point. do you have, and where can they find them? So you can find all my books at most at bookstores that sell fantastic books, sometimes carry mine. <laughs> uh, bookstores nationally. It's in the National Book Network, so any bookstore in America can have many carry it. I've seen it at all the good airports or the ones I've landed at. Uh, so bookstores, small bookstores, support them. Your local bookstore, they'll order it in. You can also buy it on Amazon. I can't discount Amazon. Everybody wants me to, but the fact of the matter is, is Amazon sells a lot of books, and mm -hmm. I need to buy a lot of coffee. So I do need to sell books. <laughs> but I'd rather you bought it somewhere else. Um, so any bookstore, uh, the national chains, uh, you can buy them online. It's everywhere online. If you need to order online somewhere, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Target, but also your bookstore. Your bookstore. Go to your bookstore because bookstore people, they, they got to make a living too. Um, so it's Detective in the Dooryards, number one. Got Warrants with a question mark is number two. And the third book coming out in November is called Dawn in the Dooryard, Reflections from the Jagged Edge of America. And that's just a group of essays. It's not all police-centric, mostly just my blathering on about things that I notice. You know, I just notice many min minuscule things. I, I write about very minor things, but I think those are big deals. I think mm -hmm. the minor things are the big deal. I mean, that, that's the big deal. Um, so you can buy them anywhere, buy them wherever you can, buy five, give them out as Christmas presents. I also 
Um, I sign books at a, a Bangor shop, the heel ship nationwide, uh, and that's called the Briar Patch in downtown Bangor. I'm doing my launch for the next book at uh, Left Bank Books in Belfast, and they've been real good supporters of me down there. So go there. You can call them, say, hey, I've caught and signed me a book when it comes out, and they'll send it to you too. So the books are available. Come to my website, timcottonwrites.com. Sign up for the weekly blog post. Those are fun. Uh, I won't sell your email unless we get a really good offer for it. <laughs> uh, no, I won't sell emails ever. Give them away. There's no, it's just uh, for our, we got like eighteen or 19,000 followers there. Facebook, I have like 70,000. Come to my Facebook page. Follow the Facebook page. Um, I write there every day. Uh, I write everywhere. And uh, Bangor PD, Bangor Police, Bangor Main Police. Still handling that account and having a good time with it. Kind of a little freer now that I'm not a sworn law enforcement <laughs> officer. Maybe I could endorse going slightly over the speed limit if you need to get somewhere quickly, but I probably shouldn't. But, uh, you know, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's yeah, for sure. I actually, I forgot one, my, my best slam of you is one of my good customers has a line. He says, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. So I was going to say, did, did, did you retire from police department? work thinking that would make you a better writer i i, I don't think it will i think it probably make me worse i'm getting a little lazy i I've, i'm getting up later i used to get up at three and now i get up at five which is that's late for me because i do like the early morning hours and i've been sleeping in at camp all summer and i don't care uh, i've been doing some good track i put in septic system myself so that's been fun i love working with septic it's there's nothing like it uh <laughs> <laughs> got to be the worst experience of my life this septic thing it's just gone on forever and uh because you know in this economy you can't get someone to come do something right. for you it's not happening and they'll laugh in your face when you ask for two a, a good tradesman can you oh, oh you're no oh, yeah no, no i'm not coming okay they're being honest now though they're saying they're not coming and they don't say they're coming and don't come so i like yeah. that this is this is a new world we're living in and so i've had Absolutely. to do things that i I never would have thought I would have done, and I've learned how to do it. You know, YouTube is great, right? <laughs> YouTube is great. Yes, it is. Well, thank you, Tim, thank for you. being on. Um, I realize now apparently you've been on with me in my pajamas. Not not really. I, but I'm I, uncomfortable, but it's okay. Well, no, I, I wore these. They're plaid shorts. They're L.L. Bean or whatever. They're legit shorts, but I wore them on some um, other YouTube thing, and, and the overwhelming commentary was why is doug in his pajamas no kidding and of course i was wearing these for like five different videos i recorded all in the same day and <laughs> yeah so they it's think just, you never change right yeah right so i, I guess know. i can't wear checked shorts video, well you gotta but. get a couple colors you need to you need to switch it up a little switch car switch shorts yeah. yeah yeah well just that's that's why the audio podcast is good but anyway thank you again for being on it's been a, a real pleasure yeah and, good to meet uh, you good to do all it all the way from my mom sending me the facebook stories to yeah you know, unfortunately here we yeah. are yeah. moms do send those out a lot yep. which i appreciate yep her time yep. so awesome thank you again thank you yep we're happy to have Nuts for Sticks as a sponsor of SwitchCast. Nuts for Sticks is a fantastic merchandise site where you can get t-shirts, car-related t-shirts that usually also have dad jokes and puns on them. They have a great selection of high-quality t-shirts there, so go check them out at nutsforsticks.com and use discount code SWITCHCAST for 10% off your entire order. Again, that's nutsforsticks.com, discount code SWITCHCAST.
I say this just about every time, but I really mean it. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. It was one of my favorites, and we really got to talk about some great topics. And I I think uh, Tim's perspective on life and police work is a really special one, and that's why so many people have gravitated toward reading his work and following the Facebook page. And to close, as I promised in the interview, I'm going to read an excerpt from a story about uh, changing a tire and it gives you a little bit of the Maine flavor. If you're from Maine, this will make a lot of sense. If you're not, maybe it'll uh, uh, spur you to, to visit there and, and meet some locals and find out why people from Maine love it so much. Uh, but this is the story that really put their Facebook page on the map. It was the first one that kind of went viral, and I think it encapsulates his writing and what people appreciate it about it because it's it's seeing the positives in in uh, people and in the midst of situations that um, are not necessarily positive so sit back listen and uh, uh, just go buy the book and and you can read all the stories for yourself here we go if you were from maine you know there are no real great spots to change a tire Paved shoulders are rare, and we all know you don't get a flat anywhere near a paved shoulder. I pulled up and got out. The gentleman had a catastrophic flat. Gone, baby, gone. He was pretty happy we stopped, and I told him that I could easily do this for him. He was on his way from Belfast, where he'd seen his kids, and driving home to Mapleton. I thought to myself, you really shouldn't get there from here. But I am from Maine and know anything is possible if you have a gazetteer and a sense of adventure. All of a sudden, it wasn't so hot outside, and what a great guy he was to talk to. We found his spare and all the tools and set to work. Cars whizzed by over the hill in the background, and they did not slow nor move over. I was concerned and asked Phil to at least move to the side of the car near the woods, but he wanted to help. He told me that last year he could almost leap up and down, and over the past year, the leaping has stopped, and he has a more difficult time getting around. I realized shortly that the wheel was rust-welded to the rotor, and I was not in my truck and thus thus not carrying my tools. Big hammers are a must for these occasions. That's when the lovely and talented Lois stopped. She lived nearby and had a selection of hammers. I asked for a big one, and she said she would run to the house and grab a couple. She was the kind of lady that you want to meet when changing a tire. She came right back with two optimum-sized hammers, and I set to work on banging the wheel off. Perfect, I said. This will be easy. Then, after returning the hammers to Lois, she left and came back with three waters and an offer for a bathroom. Now, I had met Phil, who I liked very much, and Lois, who was becoming my new favorite person. She dropped the water off to us and offered a cool place for Phil to sit if he needed it. He said no, as he likes to help. She left, but said she was just up the road if we needed any more help. As we continued, the sand gave out from under the jack. The car fell onto the shoulder of the road. Not good. Phil and I laughed a little, and then Phil got in our car with a wife to cool off. I called AAA for a good jack, and we all waited together. While waiting, a lovely lady stopped in a newer Hyundai and said she had a floor jack in her car. You have to love Maine women. Hammers and floor jacks. I told her AAA was coming, and soon they did. All was well. We got Phil headed to Eastport for the night as he had not been there in years. He said he really didn't need to get home until the third. Retirement, you know. All in all, a great day in Maine. That's how it is here. Thanks, Lois. Thanks, Lady in the Hyundai. Happy 85th birthday to Phil of Mapleton, Maine. I am far less jaded tonight and look forward to returning to Bangor PD in the morning. 
There are great people out there, and sometimes you just have to stand on the side of the road to find them. Well, thank you all for listening and watching. Thank you very much to Tim Cotton for joining me. Thank you to our sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, Celebrity Machines, Switch Cars, and Stephen Holm Woodworking and Nathan's Detailing. Thank you to our producer, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available this Friday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m., where we look forward to answering your questions and entertaining you to help you on the drive of your life.